Matt Carter is the lead guitarist for the Seattle band Emory, which formed in 2001 in Rock Hill, South Carolina, but moved to Seattle, Washington in search for a better musical environment. They have since produced six albums and are currently working on their seventh album, which is being crowdfunded on Indiegogo. In 2014, Matt and lead singer Toby Morell, along with their pastor friend Joey Svensson, started the podcast Bad Christian, a thriving community that focuses on interacting with culture from an alternative Christian point of view. They do this by being transparent, entertaining, honest, and artistic. The Bad Christian community has grown rapidly because of partnerships with independent artists, podcasters, and writers, who by fueling the Bad Christian movement are able to build and sustain their careers. Welcome to Rise Seattle Podcast, a podcast about Seattle, the people, their stories, and Seattle's future. Here's your hosts, Phil Greeley and Tyler Davis-Jones. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Tyler. And I'm Phil. And we're on the Rise Seattle podcast with our friend Matt Carter from mm-hmm. the Bad Christian Podcast. You are a guest on our show, but okay. we are a guest in your studio. That's so thank right. you for having us. We're at the Bad Christian Studio HQ. In, yeah, exactly. In it's downtown sweet. Ballard. It's way fancier than uh, than our setup. Although we do like our setup over at Bravery Music. And we brought producer Brett along, so it's a, it's like a family here. So yeah. Yeah. thank you for coming on, man. Hey, so let's start with where you live. So you are in Greenwood. Greenwood is my neighborhood. How'd you end up there? Well, my real estate agent uh, found me a good place <laughs> there, so led me right to it. Now, we were just looking on the north end of Seattle because most of our relationships and people we knew were in Magnolia and Queen Anne and kind of on the north side. And we have a one or two friends that live like in some other neighbors like Beacon Hill that are on the other side of the city that I like. But the amount of time we see them is so much less. I noticed that crossing the city mm. is a... Uh, it just there's something about crossing the city that just makes you not want to do it, mm. and so it makes you less likely to want to hang out with people or say yes, hey, could you meet you in five minutes for a beer? So what I'm looking for in a neighborhood is proximity to other people where I will feel obligated to interact. Mm. That's what I'm looking for. So we, we we moved as least far as we could from the city. We were able to stay about within a hundred blocks of the city in the city limits, yeah. and, and so that we could afford to live as close as we could to the city and and still have relationships and people around that without changing i don't want to move move from an apartment to a house and then have all our relationships change i just mm-hmm. not into that yeah. totally okay so greenwood what's your favorite you want to go get a beer you want mm-hmm. to go get a cup of coffee what's your favorite spot uh well the naked city is a good mm-hmm. place down there there's a bunch of stuff in just in the downtown greenwood yeah uh, right near 85th right there yeah okay. yeah yeah that whole strip corridor has just blown up over yeah. the past like two years, I feel like, Yes. in the time that you guys bought. So, yeah, it's cool. Um, sweet. Okay, so you're self-employed. Uh-huh. Uh, you live in Seattle, and you purchased your home here. You were self-employed mm-hmm. um, while you purchased your home and still remain that way. So tell us more about that. Uh, unpack that a little bit for us. What is that like for you, living in Seattle as a self-employed person? Um, well, the bad thing about it is that it doesn't matter where I live. I make the same amount of money. I could live on the beach in Mexico or mm-hmm. in a ranch in Wyoming and mm-hmm. do but not exactly what I do, but essentially the money I earn would doesn't come from any particularly local source or employer. So 
it's uh, r- rough living in an expensive city, but it's worth it to me. I mean, I mean, like I said, relationships. My wife is here. Her job is here. That kind of thing. But to me, being in the city and around and having access to talented and smart and inspiring people is just worth it. But um, it is hard to do this. Um, like I said, to make the ends meet enough to be able mm. to afford a house in, in Seattle is difficult and partly difficult because as a self-employed person, you don't know how much money you're going to make. And it's easier to be optimistic and then, you know, you don't get paid on something you thought you were or when you when you thought you would. Mm. You know, and then there's the upside of, well, technically I'm not on a fixed income and things could go well and I could have extra income laying around. But, you know, that's that's uh, it usually goes the other way. You're usually yeah. disappointed, not surprised at how much you make. <laughs> yes. And, it's, and you don't know the answer. So yeah. you have to make it's conservative estimates to my wife. I'm terrified to overpromise her what I'm going right. to make next year right. or on a real estate thing or to buy a house. Those things are very scary because right. I don't know what my income will be next year could right be, we, could be we twice live, as much or half as much but yeah we, well, we live in that same tension pretty much mm-hmm. every day uh with the real estate stuff that we do so how do you balance that though because you're you know you're entrepreneurial mm-hmm. right and my guess is like most entrepreneurs you have a positive mindset about where your growth would be so how do you temper that enthusiasm when you're making like financial decisions well i just uh I like to project conservatively, you know, is one thing. Uh, one of the strategies is I just don't, I just, uh, we, we have to try to live below our means, but I don't really know what that means. When you factor everything in, it's still, I feel like we're not doing right on retirement or mm. health, life insurance and things. There's still a lot of things I don't think we're doing well, but in general, um, we, you just had to figure out some fractional amount of your income to say is is real, mm. you know, because the taxes are horrible, mm-hmm. horrible on a self-employed person. Um, I feel like at least, and uh, then also there's so there's the tax thing that you have to deal with, and then just you know, hedging your bets that if you go through a dry spell you'll be okay too. So you need more mm. savings, and the taxes are bad. So yeah, you just it's just it's something else. Yeah, something that uh, we've actually talked about a couple of times, uh, Phil and I is, um, you know, your time as an entrepreneur is your most valuable resource, Mm -hmm. right? So spending money on things that will free up your time typically is nice, but then you also have to leverage your time well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I get that idea of trying to be conservative, but at the same time, well, is it better to maybe have a guy mow my lawn? Yeah. Uh, because that's going to free me up to Go out yeah, and make more it's money. It's crazy elsewhere. what stuff you're like, wait, I guess that does make sense to pay for. This is better this mm-hmm. time. And, and we deal with child care as one of those right. things. Right, like, yeah, child care. You know, child care or stuff around the house. You know, what what things am I being prideful and saying, I will do it myself? But And I don't even think of myself as much of an entrepreneur as people tend to say about me, which is fine. But I, do, <laughs> I just feel like I do what I feel like doing that I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I'm not that money driven exactly so what i want to spend my time on is what i enjoy the most that's what i that's how i value my time so i don't really make that much money so but i do have to think in leverage and you know i have to get enough margins on places so that i'll be free Mm -hmm. is the way i think i need to be free yeah so if I can pay people to do stuff, as long as it's stuff I hate, then I'm all for it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, but I, I want to be able to get free to where I can get bogged down uh, building this wall in the studio or wiring stuff or because I like it. If that's right. what I'm interested in. If I want to learn how to do video for a podcast, I want to have – I want to be able to spend that, my free time on that and learn and be excited and do what I want to do. So that's what I put by far the most value is my freedom to explore and learn what I want to learn. 
Yeah. And then something will happen. I'll get into something and then I'll figure out a way to make money with it and monetize it eventually. So that's the way I think of it. And just, it's all about just being ahead to give yourself the time and money margin. Yeah. Um, okay. So we, we're going to dig into your podcast. I, you have some impressive numbers. I think you're at a quarter million downloads for your Bad Christian podcast per month. Is or did that, that per, go per up episode? after Yeah, the, I think, we, I think yeah. last month we had 450,000 okay. downloads oh, just on. in a month. Yeah, okay. Crazy. So super impressive there. You're a guitarist in a band, mm-hmm. but we're trying to paint a picture that you're you're an everyday guy here in Seattle, which hopefully our listeners are, are um, picking up on. But so you're sticking with your house, sticking with Greenwood. You're a growing family, right? Mm-hmm. And you talked about wanting to be in the city center. What, looking down the line, uh, do you? How are you dealing with the kind of the pressure or the uh, forecasting of needing more space? What does that look like for you? <laughs> well, I mean, the house we got is small. I mean, it's one of the smallest houses I've ever seen. Honestly, I mean, it's not a tiny house like you see on a TV <laughs> show. But I think we have seven hundred eighty or ninety square feet okay. in our house. So there's a lot of studio apartments that size, and we have two little girls, you know, so it's a two-bedroom place. But I'll tell you what, it is laid out so well. It's Mm. shocking how much we're able to get out of that very small square footage. And I'm pretty satisfied with that. Now, it's tight, and there's some real bad things about that, but it's okay. But I am a little nervous if we make our family bigger, which we'd like to do. Mm. Um, So one of the things we did was we have a detached garage out back that was just a slab, like like kind of a barn sitting on a slab with a big sliding wooden door from the imagine the 60s or something like that so we did a bunch of dismantling of stuff out there and turned it into a whole apartment and i did that all last year on weekends so i managed the project and i probably i'm not that handy but i'm learning and i think i will be pretty i would re- call you handy i'd okay, say you're pretty maybe handy. A handy but i wouldn't claim it. To other folks yeah. i wouldn't claim it but maybe compared to other folks but i i project managed the project and turned that into apartment f- from february to august I would work Saturday and most Sundays, mm-hmm. and then I would pay people hourly to help with what stuff I'm not as good at, so mm-hmm. carpentry or plumbing or whatever. And so I would get to work, I get to work alongside somebody that's more skilled than me and still manage and make every decision about what kind of joint to make here, what how high to hang these collar ties, you know, everything about it. And I probably sunk 40 or 50% of the screws myself kind mm-hmm. of thing, but... Really, I was just learn. I mean, I took that as an opportunity to learn. Like right. now, I've done a construction project from the ground up. The the slab was there and the roof's there. Everything else we did, right. and it's a whole apartment now. It's a three hundred and sixty square foot thing with mm-hmm. plumbing and and everything. I think it's beautiful. So it's yeah. like that's my favorite project. It's my favorite thing I've done in years. Um, not it's not the podcast or some music I've made last. This one's new. It's like new territory. I was able to do it and learn. Right. And now I'm a more skilled. You know, I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a carpenter, but I'm more skilled at building and designing, and it just feels it feels great. And we have some square footage to use. And thinking back, actually, I, I remember we were touring the house, mm-hmm. and if I can be so bold, that might have been my idea to convert it be, that yeah. convert <laughs> that detached uh, garage. So I'm I'm glad that it's uh, that it's working out for you. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, okay, so you're a Seattle transplant. Um, for our listeners, they can hear a little bit of yeah. twang in your voice, yeah. right? Um, I worked on getting rid of my twang. I love that you still Most have your twang. Do. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's true. Um, I meet people all the time, and they say, "Okay, you know, I get people say, where are you from?'" I said, "Somebody had me this on the plane the other day." They said, "Where are you from?" And I said, uh, "Oh, South Carolina." And they said, um, "Oh, okay, yeah, I'm from Alabama." I said, "He said you'll lose your accent." You'll lose it. Don't worry about it. He said. He said. I said. How long have you been here? He said. 
three years. I, I said, he said, how long have you been here? I said, 15 years. <laughs> like, I guess so it's my, stuck. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's not going anywhere. I think anywhere. it's people being ashamed of. My sister moved to Minneapolis and New York City, and she lost hers. So yeah. I think people are ashamed of it. I think you have to work to lose it. Yeah. So it, to me, it just feel it's the way I talk. I, I, I totally it. was ashamed of mine. I, I yeah. admit that. Yeah. yeah. And I definitely worked on it. I wanted to be this like, skater yeah. bro who like lived in Seattle and you know, whatever. <laughs> so um, anyways, yeah. So good on you for keeping your accent. But that being the case, so uh, you're in the, this band Emory, mm-hmm. right? Again, started in 2001. Uh, you guys were out of North Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. Rock well, Hill. Let, me, let me correct you there. I thought you might do this because it happens Almost every single time. Okay. I tell people that I'm from South Carolina, and then three or four minutes later, they turn to their friend and say, hey, this is Matt. He's from North Carolina. That's hilarious. And you just did it. I just did Everybody does it almost every time. And I want to point point out to you that you, in the intro, eight minutes ago, just said South Carolina. Did I say South Carolina? Yes, it said from Rock Hill, South Ah, Carolina. And then here you go. North Carolina. you go North Carolina. That's hilarious. Because North Carolina is a more popular state. Everybody knows the Tar Heels. South Carolina must be the stupidest loser state in the world. (laughs) Not even worth remembering. But probably 80% of the time that I tell people I'm from South Carolina, they always repeat it as North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why. You know what it is, is in my notes here, I have North Carolina. But that's how it got in your notes because it... Because I just thought North Carolina. the same thing. That's right. Okay. Anyways. So, Emory, you guys are from South right. Carolina, um, and you moved to Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. And being a guy from Nashville, I'm like, I'm wondering, which I know you get, you spend quite a bit of time in Nashville too, but what what made you choose Seattle as your, you know, beginning ground of like a new endeavor of music? Well, it was... Uh one of the least calculated decisions that you could ever imagine. Uh, we were about to graduate college. We were. It was the last month of college, and mm-hmm. nobody knew what to do after college. So uh, Toby and Joey, that I do the podcast with, asked me and Devin, who were in. A, we played in two different little local bands in college, bar bands, and we said they asked us to go to dinner in a Mexican restaurant, and said, "Guys, we're thinking." You're the good people in your band, and we're the good people in our band. We should start one band and be serious, and maybe even like move away, not be in this small town, South Carolina, where there's nothing, and maybe we could move to, I don't know, Florida and like start a band for real and give it a shot when we graduate college. Mm. And we're like, definitely. Like, we said, of course, that's a, a big yes. We'll do that. Easy. It was just just like that. We said, yes. All right. And then it's like, okay, where do you want to move? We're like, well, I guess we could move anywhere. We can't stay here because there's nothing here. Um, and there wasn't at the time. It's better now. But uh, it was just like, oh, I don't know. We could go to Florida. That's close. Yeah, I don't know. But I don't know. You go to New York City. Well, that's too scary. LA. Are you kidding? I can't go to California. Are you nuts? Seattle. Well, that's where Nirvana's from. Let's do that. Okay. <laughs> so Nirvana brought Whatever. you to yeah, Seattle, right? right. Just, just I, I mean, I've always thought it was the coolest sounding thing in the world is Seattle and right. grunge and all that. That's, you know, and so when somebody said Seattle, I was like, okay, let's just do that. That doesn't sound intimidating. As the, I know it's far away, but it, it sounds like easier than going to New York or L.A., but right. it's still a big city and it's kind of cool. I mean, Nirvana's yeah. awesome. I mean, none of us had ever been or anything. So yeah. we all saved up. We went and worked for, the, for a couple months that summer, and everybody said, we said, all right, everybody save $300 each. 300 bucks. And then we will go, and nice. that's what we did. <laughs> the days so, when you could have $300 in your bank account and still move to did. Seattle. Yeah, we yeah. all said, everybody has to at least have $300 before we go, and then we, we drove out to Seattle. Wow. And yeah. did you just get a house? Um, we got an apartment. Uh, I, okay. don't wanna, I don't want to make the story any longer, but the fun, funniest 
and funny's not the right word for it, but we planned all summer to, you know, we were going to work for a couple months and leave in September. And so we were going to leave on the, you know, September 15th or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then Toby had some living situation problems. All right, let's leave on the 11th. So we oh, got up, snap. you know, at six in the morning, family told us goodbye. It was September 11th, 2001. We drove an hour in, into North Carolina and right when the 9-11 happened. Whoa, so we yeah. we spent the next week driving, you know, we didn't have phones or internet or anything. We were just, right. we, so we just, on 9-11, we were just in the car for a week, driving oh across the country, staying in national parks. That's that's that was how we spent that week. That's crazy! Wow. Yeah. Did you end up turning the radio on once you like? Oh yeah, I mean we we just, found out yeah. right away, and it was yeah. like our family was, was like, "Come home." They're like, "No, I guess we're gonna mm-hmm. keep going." But this yeah. is scary. We were we were terrified. Like, should we avoid driving through cities on our way? Yeah. We didn't know what we were doing, but we just we just. Did. Well, kept imagine, on going. imagine how the story would have changed potentially if if you did choose New York, right? Oh yeah, like that's it, true. I mean, I never thought would, even thought about have, it. In would that Emory context, even be? Yeah, like, I don't know if we would have left if we would have been scheduled to leave on the twelfth. I just don't think we'd ever come. Yeah, basically. Wow. So I, that's the way I think of it. If anything would have been different, or if we'd have listened to our family or anything, we just wouldn't have gone. Like this is, let's wait six months or let's wait mm-hmm. a, and then nothing. Of course, if you don't do something when you have motivation, you yep. will not do it yeah. later. You just will not do it later. And I, I noticed that and. Uh, if, uh, you'll notice as a podcaster, I can segue really good. I noticed that when I was building the garage and when we first moved our house and redid the kitchen, mm-hmm. it was like uh, I would work all day every day because I had to get this thing in shape. And I got all the way down and got the trim and everything done in the house, basically. And then there's the punch list of little things to do mm-hmm. that's not done today. Of course. And that's a year and yeah. a half ago. And yeah. I was doing four different things a day. Get the tile, do the grout, do this, yeah. put this trim in. There's three pieces of trim in the laundry room that I was in the middle of when it felt finally felt like, okay, we're moved mm-hmm. in. This is okay now. And I haven't done it since. Yep. And yep. so it's the same way with anything. You have to use, when you're amped on something, you have to harness that mm-hmm. and ride it as hard as you can, or yeah. you're not going to do it later or do it well. Yeah, so. it's that last 10% that always gets you. Yeah. How long has Emory been together? Well, since September 11, 2001. One. So okay. that's uh, 15, 16 years. How has band life changed from that moment to now? Because you all have families of your own <laughs> yeah, and kids yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, we had nothing at the time. Like not a th- That was the whole point was we could get up and walk away and just go focus on the band. We were super amped on it, so let's yeah. just go do it. Let's go all in to the max, isolate ourselves from everybody and do it. So we were just in a storage unit writing music every night and thought it was the greatest thing in the world. We didn't really even – we weren't that social when we moved here. We weren't going out or drinking or anything. We're just like, oh, we're, this is so cool. We're here. We're doing music and this and that, wherever. And then, yeah, the most significant thing is everybody became adults and later than most people do. We spent our whole 20s goofing off, but by the end of our 20s and stuff like that, we started getting married. And now that we're in 30s and Toby's 41, we got a bunch of kids now. Um, our drummer has, is going to have his fifth. Wow. I've got two. Oh Toby's got three. And Devin has two. So that's five. It's like six, two seven, bands eight, right there. Nine, and just 10, kids. 11, 12 kids we've got. So there's Emory. Plus wives and then twelve children. Wow, so. wow, that's that's. And crazy. Do they all go to your shows no, and on tour no, and stuff? No, no, no. <laughs> get them all on the bus. Not even yeah. close. Yeah. Not, not even at all. <laughs> that would be a pre- be a pretty epic tour. Just get like two oh, buses, horrible. bring the whole no, family. It'd be a nightmare. <laughs> it's the last thing I'd ever want in my life. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not good to combine the things. Like even when. Even when you go to start a tour and you go, oh, well, if everybody comes here and we rehearse for a few days, I don't have to travel. Mm-hmm. I get to stay home longer. But those those are the worst days of your whole life. It's yeah. to- it's horrible to combine the two. It's just it's just too stressful. Your friends are there and you're doing work and it's like all day, every day, you're just in that mode. But then mm-hmm. also, oh, wait, my di- I still okay, I can still pick the kids up. Mm-hmm. Wait, is the rehearsal space here? And like, when you cross those worlds over, it's, it's not good. Yeah, it's not good at all. That makes sense. 
All right, so let's talk uh, a little bit about the American post-hardcore movement. So okay. I, I, I grew up listening to, to Under Oath and mm-hmm. Thrice and Thursday and, you know, The Almost and, mm-hmm. like, all of these guys who are kind of your compatriots. How has that that genre of music, how has that evolved over the years, right? And for, for context, I'm thinking, like, uh, like, Thrice had their primary really great albums, right? You know, Artist and Ambulance mm-hmm. and even going into, like, further uh, or uh, earlier albums and then they had like wind fire whatever uh-huh. the hell was going on there um how has how has your music evolved um over the past couple of years well i mean even the way you say that kind of gives a little clue of how, of, of genres and how they go like they basically it seems have a lifespan to some degree so a genre will be a new thing, and that whatever you're described there in list of those bands, I guess that you would identify that with the screaming and the singing, and it's mm-hmm. aggressive and it's less of of pop, but it still can be catchy and all that stuff. So that's emerged from it just emerged from this independent music plus hardcore, and then just the people had freedom to do whatever they wanted to, and then the internet and people could find it. It was one of these first kind of uh, niche genres where, and then it kind of blew up and became mainstream to where at some point. There's bands that were inventing that, and then they paved the way, and then there's a cycle of bands that capitalize on that, and then the next phase that happens pretty quickly, especially these days, is it just gets overdone and Mm. done by the same formula. It turns into a formula Mm. that can be copied once it emerges and establishes itself from people really creatively making it, and then it gets copied a bunch, and then it's like... It's almost like misinformation. It's like, oh, that crappy genre with all those screamy bands with keyboards and this the local is not good. Yeah, like it, the, a genre becomes saturated. Right. It's almost with, not art anymore because it's a formula. Yeah, and then if you go back and compare the different artists, it's hard to even tell the difference. Right, but but there is you know there's the formational part of it, and then the best part of it, and then it gets watered. It gets saturated in a way that mm-hmm. maybe becomes unpleasant and then hopefully over time what we've seen with this one is now a lot of that has faded away and so only the, the maybe the good bands that have lasted mm-hmm. are there so it's back to less competition now maybe we're more like a legacy act or something if thrice or emory goes on tour it's like yeah i would go to it, that tour that's yeah, what i'm saying yeah. it's not it's maybe it's not even about reaching new people right. but if you think about like ska for instance or, yeah. or that kind of music i mean the real big fish and less than jake and this band they exist but there was a point in time when there's a million crap crappy ska bands. Right. But now, I'm not saying if anybody that broke up never was good. I mean, there's plenty of good bands that break up, but at least at some point that wanes, and so we've been lucky enough to stay around long enough to where if you're thinking of this type of genre and wanting to go see concerts, there's not many, it's not that many bands mm. that, that still exist. Yeah. So Andros out, Thrice is, is out touring, mm-hmm. we're touring and stuff, so, you know, it's nice to, to have survived that whole cycle. But it is a, you know, an a, I don't know what to say, it's a has-been genre or something. It's not really that. It's just, you know, it's not a new thing anymore by, yeah. any, by any means. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, speaking of Under Oath, I know you guys just interviewed Dallas on uh, your, mm-hmm. your most recent podcast, uh, which was really uh, uh, heart-wrenching and touching yeah, to that hear was his really story. Um, for context of uh, basically the former lead singer of Under Oath had a pretty bad ATV accident, accident and uh, is alive and kicking, but he's he's yeah. he's definitely you know fighting every day. So good to go back and listen to. Um, let's see. Uh, so my favorite album of yours uh, of Emery's is actually the Question. That's everybody's, of course. Um, what's what was your favorite album? 
that you guys recorded? Well, you know, I the the answer you'll get ninety nine percent of the time when you ask an artist what their favorite album of theirs is, they'll just say the most recent album. Gotcha. That's just the way that artists almost and always answer that question. So uh, that's what I want to say, but I tried to avoid answering that way. But so if I had to go back and look at it, I'll go ahead and just agree with you that the question is my favorite. Although I could answer this question a million different times, different ways. But I'm going to agree with you on that and say that one was the best. Uh, and I'll say why I think it's the best is because we made the first album like by laboring for a couple of years to write the songs and figure out what we sounded like. And then we went in and recorded it. And then we spent a, another year or two touring it. And then all of a sudden it's time to make a new record. It's like, well, I suppose this would take many more years to go mm -hmm. do repeat that process, but we didn't have many more years. So we, we got off, we were touring 250 days a year and then it's like, and we need a new record. So it's like, we had to throw, have some ideas in our heads and we had to go into it. Like it was kind of like a dream at that point, because instead of having to have a rehearsal space all the time, we just rented a really nice facility for a month. It was almost like being in a studio, mm. and we had no material, just a few ideas, and we went and locked ourselves in a room. People didn't have girlfriends or nobody was married, and we just wrote songs all day, every day for a month, and then the next month, we were in the studio. So it's 60 days from the beginning of the ideas to the record being done. Uh, and the record is good. And Aaron Sprinkle did it. It was our first time spending real money on a recording. Cause our first one we did for a few thousand dollars. Nice. And so that that whole experience was so pleasant and fun and exciting and magical and probably someone that's captured in the in the album. So it's mm -hmm. like it's so, you know, it's it's pure in in that sense. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so you're in a band. It's successful, and all of a sudden you get an idea to start a podcast. Mm -hmm. Take us into the Genesis story of Bad Christian. You started with a couple of your bandmates. Mm -hmm. What's it about? How did it start? And uh, what do you guys talk about? Well, you know, you get going and do the band thing for about 10 years, and you start the band when you're in your early 20s, and you want to do this very specific sound and genre, and the lyrics are the certain way that they are, and it's kind of epic and serious, like the biggest, the loudest, the int most intense, it's all this stuff. And that's the music we were into just the few months before our band started. So that's what it is. And then fast forward, now I'm that for 10 years. And that's not necessary. I mean, I'm, you know, there's a 12 sets of lyrics written by one guy in my band and a few guitar parts I have that we release every couple of years. So I'm well known to the world, sold hundreds of thousands of records globally and all this stuff. But I don't feel actually known whatsoever because we're just mm. fun and goofy and not serious and stuff like that. So it's like to everybody you meet and see, you're like this guitar guy who's serious and writes these broken heart songs. And it's and it's like, okay, that's something. But mm. that's not, I mean, I, I don't, if, if I'm known, that's not the entirety of me. So I've always been a little frustrated, not frustrated, but just like I wish I could be known for the fullness of, of, of what I am as a person would be nice. Mm -hmm. And so when I started hearing podcasting, it just, it was kind of like, it's kind of like a no brainer to me. Sometimes when I, when I see stuff that I like, my brain is just kind of in the mode of, okay, I'll do this too whenever I'm ready. So the first time I heard a podcast, I thought, I will do a podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's just, a, it, and I'm not going to start one today, 
because I imagine it's a craft and hard and takes a lot of work too. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna. So the first time I'm enjoy, as soon as I'm enjoying listening to podcasts, I'm analyzing what's happening and why it's working and what's good and what's bad. And then eventually, I feel like I get a grip on it. And music was the same way. It's, when I'm hearing music, I'm not thinking, "Wow, those guys are this and that." I'm thinking, "What is happening there? What is this music doing? When can I do it?" Not now. I'm not good enough. But let me keep paying attention. Eventually. I will do music. And then one day I did, and podcasting was the same way. I wanted to, I thought, man, that would feel good to be able to express myself and just let it go and not do one super important artistic thing that your whole life rides on. You put it out every 18 months and it's success or failure and you're that. Mm. I wanted to do something where it was like, uh, it's like more like jazz improvising. Like I wish I was better at jazz. I like jazz, but I can't play well enough to go sit in a jazz club and improvise all night long. I wish I could, uh, but this I can. So it, it feels like it's real time. You do what you're doing and you walk away and it's done. And it's, 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 it's kind of like performing, but it's, it's just being present and alive and creating art. And then you walk away as opposed to arranging songs for months and months and getting it right and tracking it and then releasing it where you're not connected to it anyway. And people go listen to it and whatever. Right. But this feels like doing something. So I've just been attracted to it ever since. You gotcha. Know, I was exposed to it. So speaking of just uh, so the podcast is called Bad Christian, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's with your buddy Toby Morell, who's mm-hmm. a bandmate, um, and then of course uh, Joey Svenson. Yep. Yep. I can't say Joey. So Joey, I'm sorry if you li- if you listen to this. I apologize for not being able to say your name. Um, yeah. So why did you guys start it? Break down Bad Christian. What what exactly does that mean? Well, to you, guys? you know we. <laughs> I mean, it's really just kind of being alternative. Like uh, the thing we learned from music when alternative music and grunge all the way back to Kurt Cobain was like this feeling I've always had where it's like, wait a minute, when people really do stuff, you go, wow, you can you can do that? Like that's always the most exciting. I'm not even sure if I like that, but I didn't even know you could do that. That's the feeling to me that it's just, whoa. And so when somebody does something new or in music or in communication or something like that, it's like, whoa. It's just it's new, it's fresh, it's original, and so all we ever do is sit around our tour bus and talk. And and then I've been involved at churches and stuff like that before to the degree where there's this behind the scenes vibe of everything that I've always been in on. And then there's the public facing outside of it that's not bad, but I feel like I wish everybody could know the way this feels from the inside, but mm. both being on a tour bus or being behind the scenes at a church or in leadership. And there's just an amount of fakeness in Christianity that's disturbing, and it's a problem. Um, and so when I wanted to communicate, those were the things that were in my head. It's like, what if I just talk the way people talk backstage or uh, behind the scenes at church? What if we just make that public and just... Maybe people can handle that because mm-hmm. the whole thing about it is, oh, well, we have to be careful because I'm okay with this and you're okay with this, but there could be other people that, you know, it may not be. And I just think that's a crock. Mm-hmm. The more I think about it, now I'm fully convinced of it, that's a crock because I never meet that third person. Mm-hmm. It's everybody says, well, I'm okay with this or I can listen to this. Um, this we can wa- I can watch Game of Thrones at my house, but I wouldn't want people to know I watch it because then what if they watched it and it was bad for them? Uh, and so everything is so dressed up at church, and it's just like I just don't think that's going to fly in the future. And I, and I think it does a lot of damage because then if the leadership is doing that, then that means that you're just that just sends the message all the way through to where moms and dads are feeling like that in front of their friends. Or in front. Of, it's, I, I see it. It's just all the way through where everybody's putting on something that's not real, and if you just – 
could talk to them or go on a camping trip, have dinner with people, they talk like normal people and they don't dress everything up. And I just know that that's destructive. I just know that it is. So I make it my point to if you just made sure to not do that what would happen mm. it's almost an experiment and so we take a lot of heat and say th- i mean i don't think everybody talks just like me i'm not saying they do but if i can really be me and push myself to be authentic on air then i i know what effect that will have that will make other people who are less obnoxious than me it'll clear out some elbow room and space for them to you know maybe they're not going to say what i'm going to say or make the grandiose claim that i'm going to make or say use the word choices that I'm going to use, but they will they will feel like if they can hear that and that feels good to them, they'll be a little bit more comfortable in their community group or asking a tough question at church or being willing to be vulnerable mm. in their personal lives instead of cleaning it up because I'm certain that's just done a ton of damage and I don't think it's sustainable in the future. There's just no way. Yeah, that absolutely. People are going to see through it and people already are, so yeah. I'm just trying to clear out some elbow room for other people to be able to go, okay, if he can say that, I can at least say this. That's, yeah. the, that's the idea. What's a great example of a topic you guys talk about in a real way on your podcast? Well, it's just, we make dick and fart jokes just like everybody else does. <laughs> but we just, it doesn't matter. So I may have yeah. a, a real gripe or a political thing or uh, something bad or bad stuff that's happened in our life or personal tragedy. I mean, you can, we can talk about anything because why, who's to say we can't? Yeah. And that's all it is is everybody else feels like you can't. And all we say is, well, we can't. Mm. And watch, no, we don't have a boss. We don't have to go through a channel. It doesn't matter if our podcast says explicit lyrics and it's Christian. It just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What can, what bad can happen if I'm secure enough and it's true? Then you know, I, I think I can handle. I mean, I have a little bit of a, you know, I've been criticized a mil for for 15 years about your art being bad or this is crappy or the you know, internet comments is something we've lived with forever. So I have thick enough skin, like I can. I'm just gonna hand. I'm wrong on air all the time. That's part of it. Mm. I say yeah. lots of stuff that's wrong. I yeah. say stuff I shouldn't say, but that's what people do. Yeah. Well, it's been personally, it's been a breath of fresh air. Uh, growing up in a, a pretty conservative environment, mm-hmm. probably similar to what yeah. you grew up in. Uh, but you guys were actually nationally recognized on NPR, mm-hmm. all things considered. Mm-hmm. Um, one, what is congratulations first off, and then two, has it has it actually bolstered your ratings and yeah. number of subscribers? Yeah, and- definitely, uh, that was a, it's been a big deal. Even just just I mean, there's the part of the recognition that feels good, like it's the same thing as being in the band forever. You know, you tell your family and whatever, and they're just like, whatever. They're just like, he does, is he's a burnout loser person in our family until they walk in Best Buy and see it on the end cap, like 30 copies of the CD on the end cap, and then they just freak out and think right. you're super famous and rich, which is not true either. Right. And so yeah. you have a podcast, oh, great, yeah. anybody would say. Then they're driving around in their car and hear Michelle Martin talking about us and what we're doing on NPR and the radio. Mm. Uh, and then, it's, you know, all of a sudden my family and everybody thinks, oh, so it's real. You know? yeah. <laughs> That's what it really does. But um, we did go to the number one on the charts right after that. And we went back through and looked at the analytics. And it's funny because it's a really neat experiment because there's thousands of people searching for us to find it right after. And we can go back and look at what did they choose to listen to. Like, these new people that yeah. came in, it's really easy to see. There, on some episode that was out a year ago, a big spike on this one and not this one. And who are these people and what are they into and what are they, you know. So it's been really neat to have that influx. But it's not like our downloads didn't double or anything, but it's definitely a credibility booster and uh, definitely some new people. And it, it's for sure on the, it's, it, it's part of the, you know, continuing to doing everything better and grow. And so we're, yeah. de- we're bigger than we've ever been. We had a, a little bit of a lull last year where we, 
was relatively stagnant on numbers and went backwards for a little bit. And then we just refocused and worked harder at it, and it continues to work and grow now. So it's Great. doing yeah. as best as it's ever been. Locally, what does the Christian scene in Seattle look like? Do you track that very much? I know you, you're a part of a church, mm-hmm. and um, is it what's it like? What's it like to be a Christian in Seattle? Well, I guess the main thing in Seattle, I don't know. I mean, I mean, my point of view is going to be very uh, uh, subjective, given the history that I have, particularly that I'm kind of related to the Christian world with the podcast. And the big thing in Seattle was uh, me and everybody I know. Christian-wise, was connected to Mars Hill when it collapsed Collapsed here. And so that seems to, and that's that can't be true overall about Seattle, but from everybody I know, it's what are you doing post that? Are you more this way or are you more that way? And, and people have spun out of that time, everybody I know, in different ways. Mostly all good, too, by the way. But um, so there's people that have all went, it's, it's been a fracturing of what I felt like was the Christian community that I was involved in. But that's not necessarily true about the Christian culture in the Northwest or Seattle at large, but that's what yeah. it feels like to me. So very fractured, but uh, it's it's like it's like a progressive thing. Like people have been a part of something, really learned some stuff, and there's a lot of bad stuff about that. But they've all had to now own what they want to do. I'm going to go to this. I'm not going to go to church. We're going to be this involved. We're going to be a part of this community. We won't support a community that's this way anymore. Mm-hmm. So people have been forced out. One positive thing about it is that people have been forced out to make their decisions about how they want to live and not just, you know, submit to whatever the system is that's easiest or dominant or whatever. So I like that. They have to think now, but it's messier. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. You know, and diving a little bit deeper for our listeners, uh, let's say there are folks who don't know what Mars Hill is or Mm -hmm. the impact it had on on Seattle's culture. Can Uh, you can you just uh, maybe dive a little deeper into that story? Yeah, I mean, if I had to sum it up quickly, I would say it was a movement, which is always attractive, the uh, same as a, a genre of music or a podcasting thing or whatever it is. I mean, it's this movement of somebody doing something that you, once again, I was quite attracted to what Mark Driscoll and Marzell were doing because I didn't see anybody else doing anything like that. I was like, whoa, this is out there. Um, they're really doing stuff. I mean, he's talking different. He, you know, he's got an edge. There, There's these things happening. There's rules, and it's a tougher culture, but it's it feels good to have something to support admit to and and even as a non-conforming person it's i was like wow this is maybe i can fit in here and like submit to other things and not just be out there because i'm not big on systems or education or government all those things i i don't like in general so this is like a system that i felt like i could be a part of and it seemed to offer a lot of answers and it just like whoa it speaks to you know breath of fresh air and everything and um and it (laughs) And it started really good, but it there was just a power dynamic that went on, and you know, I, I, for the most part, I just I mean, there's plenty of fault to go around, in many people, many places, but in general, um, Mark, the lead pastor, had the power, and he over time sought to consolidate power more and more, which is no different than anything else, and that's a corrupting mm. force, and it, you know, it's no, it's not that different than politics or anything else. When you see consolidation of <coughs> power over time, it's kind of just a one-way thing, and it it, it doesn't usually go good. Mm. And, and so it it's, it 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 only go one of a few ways, and this particular way unfolded relatively dramatically. Uh, he got into some trouble and hot water, and then 
you know, refused to go along with or take care of other people or listen to other people mm. and, you know, became what was it seemed to be extremely hypocritical and, and even harmful and dangerous. And then turns out, when, when, even when you take him out of it, that those ways had worked their way into the culture itself. There was a lot of mini marks or people like me and a lot of other people were behaving like mini marks, even mm. down in my own household. And so you can see the damage that the one charismatic leader does it just has a ripple effect. And mm -hmm. now there's a bunch of other people in power to take after him for good or bad. So the more corrupting that had become, you know, it became there's a even if you removed him, which ultimately happened, mm -hmm. He removed himself and took no responsibility or accountability. But now you still have all the same problems are there. It's kind of into the culture, and it just seemed like as much as everybody wanted this church to go on or ha would have worked, it was it was not possible, and it, it fell yeah. apart. Well, it seems like you're pretty self-aware of uh, you bought into this movement. Mm -hmm. um, I personally wasn't a member there, um, but you bought you bought into this movement. Mm -hmm. um, you uh, recognize that you took on traits that the mm -hmm. main leader had um and it sounds like there's been some transformation too uh in what you've experienced outside of the fall of that can you speak to that at all well i mean you just can't i mean you can go you can be more like him or less so gotcha. yeah, that's your choice yeah. i mean you know or, or somewhere in between i guess but if you see something and recognize it i mean i just don't I, I don't know. Like, there's so many things. I, I mean, I like power and success too. And there's a probably a lot of stuff that I learned from him: verbal communication and and how to manipulate people. I think I learned a lot from the guy. And so I, I I understand that I have a certain amount of power and stuff like that. But I don't want mine to go that way. So I better get with it and be aware of the the, the power I have of whether it be just persuasive speech or voice or platform. I mean, do, do I want to be like that? No. So I better do everything I can to knock myself down or be able to admit stuff or let other people knock me down and hear it and be as plain as I can be. And just then if things are working, I can live with that and it's less dangerous for me and everybody who listens to me and my family. Well, I don't see another way you, you could take it if you were being if you were soberly trying to look at it. You've had a few former members and former staff uh, mm -hmm. from Marsil on your podcast interviewing them. What what's your goal in that and what's come of those? those episodes well if people want to talk and they have something to say then i have ability to let them be heard so that's just seems like it ought to happen it's just kind of a no-brainer there i don't want to inundate people with a bunch of you know myopic drama from a few people's lives that don't matter to anybody else but i don't really think that's what this is there's a lot of uh there's just a lot that that people can learn from what we've seen here and seen in that culture that is i can promise you is repeated hundreds and hundreds of times over in church cultures and maybe not as bad yeah. but that's okay the lessons still apply and it's part of the, the the big problem with systems and institutions and power structures and people are for the first time starting to be okay i mean if you just notice philosophy and politics and religion and science they almost always go together and we're in an interesting time that i'm just trying to pay attention to where we can assess what the prison system is like and what politics are like what you know we can start to step out and see these flaws in these institutions that have been un you know have been complete you know education it, it just you can kind of point out the flaws now and see them and question it and that's a good thing mm -hmm. it just is a good thing we understand that it, they don't just because something has power doesn't make it right but the tendency is to always validate that and so the underdogs and the masses and the not privileged and the victims, 
we have the ability to give them a voice now, which we never had before. So that's going to change the world, I guess. I mean, it's kind of not, nothing that I'm doing exactly, but that mentality is revolutionary and it's nonviolent revolution. So I'm excited about it. Well, and it seems like it speaks to that uh, learning and thinking out of, coming out of that, um, the fall of Mars Hill is this, um, the ability and the, the necessity to think for yourself, analyze what went wrong, learn from it and grow, mm-hmm. um, which is super cool. All right, we're going to wrap up. I have two quick hitters and then Tyler's going to finish with a question. So these are kind of fun, right? Okay. So Seattle, your guitar player, is Seattle a Telecaster town or a Les Paul town? Okay, well, I, uh, let's look in the room, see what I've got. I see a lot of twang machines in here. One, two, three Telecasters in the room and no Les Pauls. But I have a Les Paul that I really like. Okay. Uh, And I don't think it's a town um, either way. I I don't know. Maybe it's probably more of a Les Paul town, but uh, I prefer Telecasters at the moment. Okay, great. You're from the south. Where's the best spot for barbecue in Seattle? Uh, Get on an airplane and fly (laughs) as far away from Seattle as you can. And and anywhere you Uh, find will be better than anything you could find here. (laughs) Okay. Can you get sweet tea anywhere? No. No. It'll be it'll be old. If they have it, it'll have been sitting there for for too long to be good. We have Chick Fil A now, though. Is that count? Yeah. If you get Chick Fil A sweet tea, it will be fresh. That's true. But but no, the food's no good here. Okay. All right. Okay. So. On every show, uh, because this is a podcast about Seattle, Mm -hmm. uh, we ask two questions. So um, one is going to be, what are your hopes for Seattle um, in the future, right? We're this thriving city. Mm -hmm. We're becoming this international city. Mm -hmm. um, And then what are your concerns? Well, you know, I somebody explains it to me like there's the old Seattle and new Seattle. And my mother-in-law grew up in Magnolia and it lives in the house that she has in that her mom had. And she doesn't want this place to get any bigger. And my wife works, she's a younger generation. She works in a tech company downtown and loves downtown and the city and the urban stuff. And she's kind of you would think more like wants the city to continue to grow and stuff, but she still doesn't. Like she even still, she seems to be prejudiced against these Amazon people. Like she keeps saying that kind of thing. Like, oh, and they're messing up Capitol Hill and they're doing this. And so she has a little bit of that, but I have a fresher point of view and that's that I moved here. So I'm part of the moving here. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to fault anybody else that wants to move here or do business. And I say, bring it on. Let's be San Francisco. Let's be New York. Whatever Whatever it means, we had to deal with. Now, some people will be priced out of their houses, and that's a downside, I guess. But I I don't. I I just. I don't. I just think progress is the way to go. I mean, Mm. I I don't know what else you you do the best you can, but I don't see why you want to stand in the way of it. Like, it doesn't make sense to me to make it be what it was in the '60s. What What else do you want that to be that way? Mm -hmm. You know, you may calculate some short-term benefit for you, but. On the whole, let's go. Let's get on with it. Yeah, that's good. Concerns? Well, just if I can afford to, I can't, I mean, if I can afford to continue to live here. So we have a house now that we bought, but again, it's small. So it may have gone, it may have tripled in price for all I know, but even if it did, so did anything else I want to buy. So I still don't, even though I'd have equity in my house and stuff like that, I don't feel like we can, put, you know, I don't yeah, know how we, to get a, a bigger one. I still. We, we were talking about that actually the other day about how, uh, could you even uh, qualify for the loan for the home that you no, currently I mean, own, right? Not. Like no. it's just crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, cool. 
Well, we are so appreciative of this conversation. Where can people follow you online? Um, where, where, where can they find you? Well, just badchristian.com. We'll go there. I do another podcast called Break It Down, and uh, you can find all that on bad, badchristian.com is a big hub of artists and okay. podcasts and things that I'm involved in and work on and do. You can find everything there. Are you active on Twitter, Facebook? Yeah, What's my your... Twitter is uh, Zod Carter, Z-O-D-C-A-R-T-E-R. Okay. Awesome. Um, you guys are fundraising mm-hmm. or crowdfunding mm-hmm. for your next album yep. at Emory. Uh, how's the funding? Where can people go? Well, it's almost done now, and we've more than doubled the goal. And Great. Yeah, it seems like the, this model of letting people participate if they want to and you helping you make your album is just more than adequate for us. And, it, you know, we've just the same time in a row we've done it, and I think we have set to or probably will wind up raising more this time than last time. Great. So that's always the fear. It's like, oh, it's this one-time cash-in where you ask all your people for money. But it really just makes sense now. It's like no pressure. But if you want to be involved early and get it early and be part of the creation of it, feel free. And it seems to be more than enough people to do that for us, at least. So we're that's fortunate. Awesome. So we can make records by ourselves. We can make podcasts for ourselves. We don't need no boss. So Love, love it. it. Yeah. Sounds good. Matt, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, go to Indiegogo. Check out Emery's uh, new album that they're trying to make. Go to badchristian.com. Uh, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Rise Seattle is produced and recorded by the very talented Brett Baird. A special thanks to Bravery Music for our intro and outro music. You can contact us and find all of the show notes and episodes on our website, Rise Seattle Podcast. You can also connect with us on social. Instagram and Twitter at the Rise Seattle and use hashtag Rise Seattle to be a part of the conversation. Please subscribe to our podcast and write us a very nice five-star review on iTunes. We would be grateful. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks for our next episode.